a lot of the time, CEOs of the senior leaders don't understand that how quality relates to the finance, how it quality relates to revenue growth, how quality, you know, connect with the customer satisfaction part. Those are the things initially the CEO's lack of understanding or lack of knowledge contributes to that. So one of the things what I do is that, you know, I even don't take any client unless I personally meet the CEO and educate that person, you know, about the subject because knowledge is the power. Once the most CEO, CFO, they understand this management strategy can really impact their bottom line, make them more efficient, then they come on board. Hi there, this is David Knorr. Welcome to the third season of the Curvebenders podcast. I'm so excited after years of research and interviews and due diligence on this topic to finally be able to publish Curvebenders this year. It'll be my 11th book as a follow-on to Relationship Economics and Co-Create. Curvebenders, in essence, are your strategic relationships that enable your non-linear growth in the future. Our research points to 15 forces that we believe will dramatically impact the future of how you'll work, how you'll live, how you'll play, and how you'll give. The global pandemic is just one example. So how will you remain relevant if more disruption will come at us more often with potentially far greater impact? In each episode, I want to share with you insights, great ideas from guests I've invited to join us, as well as practical ideas in the evolution of your skills, your knowledge, your behaviors, and most importantly, what I believe is your biggest asset, which is your portfolio of relationships. I call those relationships your curve benders. So let's get started. Have you joined yet? The free NOR Forum is our private online community where like-minded professionals passionate about strategic relationships, visual storytelling, and this idea of personal reinvention are gathering. With now over 1,500 members strong, we've got 20-some-odd groups, constant posts of articles, interesting perspectives, polls, and a lot of really interesting discussions from an incredible global community of professionals. It's free. You can join us at norgroup.com slash forum. I'm there every day sharing ideas, welcoming new members, engaging others. We also have a number of great events each month. And take the show notes from these podcasts and turn them into more in-depth discussions. So check us out. Hope you'll join us at norgroup, N-O-U-R group.com slash forum. Welcome back to another episode of the Curvebenders podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by Subir Chowdhury, CEO of ASI Consulting. Subir, welcome. Thank you for inviting me, David. It is great to have you. For those that may not know as much about you, you and I know each other through Thinkers 50, but talk a little about your background, where you've been, what you've done, and how you've arrived here. First of all, thank you so much for you to invite me on your show. I'm a consultant of management consultant in the field of quality and the process improvement. I'm sure most of your listeners are familiar of Six Sigma management strategy. So I'm literally one of the global authority on the topic of Six Sigma and I have written 15 books. I also advise mostly Fortune 500 company CEOs 
And literally my job is how to make the organization better, more efficient. So I'm literally is all about making any types of organization efficient. So that is my job as a consultant. And we have nine different countries, locations of my company, ASI, and have been working as a consultant for the last 25 years. That's a great background. My question of you is Six Sigma has been around for a while. How have you seen it evolve? How have you seen organizations? And and typically, these are large organizations that, as you and I talked about, have process variations, right? So talk about the evolution of Six Sigma since you've been at this for a while. So as you know, that Six Sigma was literally as a statistical methods and has been there since, you know, long time, like even early 1950s, 1960s. But as a Six Sigma management strategy has been popular in 1995, 96 timeframe by Jack Welch of GE, because he personally take the initiative and take the leadership. One of the thing what happened, David, is majority of the corporation that who adopt any quality or any management philosophy, 99% of the CEO, they don't take the leadership position and personally understand what the subject is. They blindly believe in a consultant or an initiative and just adopt it, but they normally don't lead. So if you ask me the question, even though I'm one of the world's top authority on Six Sigma, I can tell you, like very sadly, almost 90% of the Six Sigma deployment failed. And when I use the word failed, what I mean by that, David, was Maybe they got only five times return or maybe two times return, not 100 times or 200 times what Jack Welch got in GE, right? So what I kind of say, you know, as a methodology, it became very popular. And now last five, 10 years, it became, it kind of slowed down, but it's nothing to do with the methodology problem. The problem belongs to the CEOs and the senior leadership, not understanding it, not, you know, embracing it. That is the main issue. That's what I find, you know. So so a lot of the time now, there's a new thing I, I'm sure you may have heard called operational excellence. So a lot of the companies now calling the Institute of Six Sigma, they are calling it as an operational excellence, but they are doing the same kind of tool sets. They are, they are using it, but they will not also get the results like Jack Welch or some of the client I work with. The reason being is because majority of the company's CEO doesn't champion it. That is the problem. Sabir, Six Sigma has been around for a number of years. Can you comment on its evolution? You know, how has Six Sigma kept up with the dynamic market that we're all working within? So as you know that any methodology, when it becomes popular, most of the organization comes in and try to adopt the methodology. But majority of the time, what I find is the CEO and the senior leadership team, they just embrace a methodology for the sake of it because it worked in another organization rather than they themselves take the time and understand the methodology. Every single successful Six Sigma deployment, what I've seen really work where clients receive 100x, 200x, 300x return of investment is where CEO personally took the time, understand that methodology, and implemented the Six Sigma methodology, incorporating that with respect of their business strategy. So they get the highest benefit. Unfortunately, David, like a lot of the time, what I found is 80, 90% of the Six Sigma deployment failed. And, and when I use the word fail, it might be getting only 1x or 2x or 3x return or 5x return max, not 100x, 200x return. 
And the main reason that happened is because of the senior leadership not understanding it. And one thing I wanted to really point it out is quality as a field has been existing for a long time. But the reason quality does not stick or does not become successful if the every function does not embrace it. So if the CEO truly understand it and he or she makes sure the subject is embraced by every function, then they get enormous amount of result, uh, not only on saving, also on the revenue growth and customer satisfaction, all these different play, you know, impact it can happen. And I can name you some companies like, for an example, in Jack Welch's time, GE had that Caterpillar when De- Glenn Barton was there. It happened there in General Motors when Mary Barra came. They didn't use the word Six Sigma, but they did the similar initiative called Operational Excellence, got unbelievable amount of results. So it, it depends on, you know, who is the leaders are embracing it from the top and making sure the methodology goes to across the function, the impact the whole organization. So that was my kind of a little bit long-term version of your question. So what do you attribute to CEOs and the executives not being as involved? I mean, obviously, this is an important topic because you and I talked about process variation and you look for how do I reduce the variation? How do I minimize the waste, which is, you know, the organization's losing money. Why wouldn't that be something that the CEO or the leadership team or even the board be really passionate and focused on? Unfortunately, the portion what they feel that, hey, I'm not a, sometimes the most of the CEO complain, I'm not a technical guy, I'm not a statistician, or I'm not an engineer, I came from marketing background. So they come up with a lot of different excuses. But I don't think, you know, they also also feel that quality as a, because initially the quality was, came from the word quality control. So I came up with an idea called, if you wanted to achieve quality, destroy quality department, just eliminate quality department make quality every function's job. So quality became very popular with respect of, you know, as if it is a kind of a somebody's policing them. But I think the way the Six Sigma or some of the things what I'm preaching, I kind of wanted to make sure that no, quality applies in every function. The other perspective is a lot of the time, CEOs of the senior leaders don't understand that how quality relates to the finance, how it quality relates to revenue growth, how quality, you know, connect with the customer satisfaction part. Those are the things initially the CEO's lack of understanding or lack of knowledge contributes to that. So one of the things what I do is that, you know, I even don't take any client unless I personally meet the CEO and educate that person, you know, about the subject because knowledge is the power. Once the most CEO, CFO, they understand this management strategy can really impact their bottom line, make them more efficient, then they come on board. And the other challenge, David, with all due respect, even both you and I are consultants. As you know, in consulting profession, our own profession damage the field of consulting. Like so, and it literally created a lot of problems with our lot of types of clients. They don't trust consultants because they are burned in the past. I had so many Six Sigma deployment has been done by another consulting firm and then they did not get the results. So the clients had a very bad taste. Then they invite us to saying that why didn't, what it failed. And they said, you know, Shibir, this consulting firm never told us that the senior leadership will be involved. They basically trained a bunch of engineers. They never told us that we have to be involved. So I think 
in in my viewpoint, you know, our own field of consulting also did the damage and did not implement it correctly. That is also that is also kind of my own analysis, and that's what I found in a lot of companies. Understood. So, what do you believe this pandemic over the last year? has done to Six Sigma. So if we're if the employees are working from home, if you know there's a lot of digital transformation initiatives going on in a lot of these enterprises, does that heighten the value of Six Sigma because now we have a greater potential for waste? Or does that 10x, 20x, 100x reduce because we're not investing, we're not spending as much time, effort as we were together with everybody coming into corporate? So as you know that if there is a pandemic or not pandemic, as you know, there's a lot of what I call it is that there is a, you know, every organization, every work has a process. And if there's a process, then there's a variation. And Six Sigma is all about how to reduce the variation because variation is the evil and variation is the reason organization lose so much money, right? So even during the pandemic time, because a lot of the organization also kind of suffered. So a lot of the organizations are very hungry uh, to save some money somewhere, right? So believe it or not, last two or three months that it kind of picked up from our side and we have been working with some Fortune 100 companies recently. And believe it or not, everything is done by virtual, uh, David, with, with respect of the training and the project discussion. Everything is done by Zoom and Microsoft team. All the, all over the world, everybody's involved, you know, and bringing their project. And we are literally helping them on their specific project, whatever they are working on. And most of them are process-related or product-related project. Now, that is the one side. So I think the demand of Six Sigma or process improvement even will be tenfold with next two or three years. That is my thinking because the organization wants to make the money. They want to make more money than whatever they lost in last one year or whatever. Now, obviously, the, the delivery mechanism of the service from our side would be different because, but we also as a consulting firm that we also kind of sit together and kind of make it very robust process so that customer is getting the best results, even though they are virtual, because we can still do the project for them and and guide them. So that is the one side of the question, you know, answer of the question. Another side of the answer, I think, which is very intriguing, which I want to emphasize here is that as a quality profession, as one of the global authority on the topic of Six Sigma process improvement, David, I feel so sad last one year because I kind of feel our government, not only in America, America, Europe, Asia, a lot of these countries, not as much as in Japan or not as much as in Singapore, but you know, I'm talking about especially in America and in Europe, our government completely failed. And very blunt with you, I'm very honest with you that even the way America is right now deploying the vaccine, it is a shame. I'm very honest with you, it's a shame. So if I go myself and guide the government, because these are all process-related issues. So, you know, I might maybe instead of a 30 million Americans vaccinated by now, maybe we should have been vaccinated maybe 100 million by now. You know, because there's a big variation. There's a lots of process-related issues that government level, county level, you know, like the state level, federal government level, every level. That makes me sad. And David, I hope that, you know, we can make a difference. I absolutely, it's a topic I absolutely want to come back to. But let's talk about a, a positive approach in, Sabir, all the very different global clients you've worked with. Is there a common thread to those that are really successful? What are those leaders doing 
Are there some common thread between their environments? Those who embrace, you know, reducing variation, reducing waste, optimizing their processes. What's the common thread between those successful engagements? That's a brilliant question. The first thing what I would mention is that I always talk about quality is combination of people power and the process power. Again, quality is the combination of people power and the process power. So process power is the part what we talk about Six Sigma or listen and reach optimize. That is another methodology and those process improvement methodology or operational excellence, whatever process you use. People power is the most critical. And people power means not uh, just only senior leaders or not middle managers or not just engineers, is everybody from the bottom to the top. Everybody's involvement. What I find when a CEO take the initiative and championing it, what I find is because of their education and understanding and the knowledge, they make sure that the methodology is communicated all the way from the top to the bottom. So, but it's a different types of, so for an example, in a manufacturing organization, assembly line worker might get a, you know, one hour or two hour of overview of the subject, but they will not be ignored. So they understand what is Six Sigma, why they're doing it, or why, what is the process improvement is important. And then they make sure that all level of people get some kind of training and how those training is application to the project. One of the things what I find, I'm sure, David, you have the similar experience. A lot of the time, American corporation, they waste their money with a bunch of training. What we, I wanted to make sure the Six Sigma's power is you should not take train a single person unless that person is associated with the project because it's all about how to apply the training into application. So the companies which get the best results, they make sure that anybody they train, they're associated with the project because project is the one which I call it as a money machine. Once you solve that project, then you know close the project that has a direct impact on the saving. And I can give you some example, you know, like for an example, I talked about Caterpillar over there. They received almost, they invested $20 million on Six Sigma methodology and they received close to a billion dollar project saving. So I want to ask you on that topic. You said, you know, there's some consultants and and I I tend to agree with you in our industry that unfortunately poison the well and dilute the credibility of a much broader, broader community. But, you know, I think it would be natural for a leader to be highly suspect of a hundred X return. So talk about some of these big returns. So where is that coming from? Where are you seeing the biggest either waste or opportunities to minimize risk? And moving forward, do you see these enterprises getting more intelligent, getting better at eliminating that, you know, those wastes up front? Or are we just repeating the same problems, same mistakes? So that's also a very good question that, you know, typically what I find is that whenever I go to any client, first question I ask the CEO and his or her leadership team, that tell me what's your number one pain. You know, if the CEO and the CFO feel their operations are fantastic, there's no waste, that's fine. And traditionally, the, I get an answer saying that, oh, you know, Shibir, you might find like at least 5% or 10% uh, waste in my organization. So I said, okay, so what do you mean by that 5%, 10%? Saying that 5% of our revenue, you may even get in order, like a waste. So I just wanted to, you know, this will, you'll really like this 
this uh, this example that I when I met with one of the automaker, the CEO told me that Shubir, can you save me two billion dollar, two billion dollars in three years? And I looked at the CEO and said, excuse me, two billion dollars in in eighteen months to save? Can I find that much of waste? And the CEO responded, what are you talking about? You may find $10 billion waste in my company, $10 billion. So then I asked the question saying that, okay, how about this in, in my contract? If I put there, your organization wants to achieve $2 billion in 18 months or whatever, for 24 months, whatever, the time frame to achieve that saving, and you will be personally leading that effort. On the first 100 days, can my team and your team can work together and identify those $2 billion worth of projects. And the CEO said, absolutely. I said, great. So fast 90 days or 100 days, we are not going to solve any problem. We'll make sure all the problems, process improvement related problem that we identify and we quantify those dollar value and making sure that we can solve those problems. Because, And I'm not going to take any project which is not process improvement related. Okay, that's great. And let me tell you, David, you know, first 100 days, we selected those $2 billion worth of projects. And guess what? We trained more than maybe 1,000 people. And their saving after two years is approximate $3.5 billion. And the funny thing, and then our job is done, but we not only train their people. What happened was because we trained their people and told them how to solve those problems. So now they have the knowledge. Some of those people, after we left, they continued more projects. And guess what? What this client reported to me after five years. After five years, the saving was close to $10 billion. $10 billion. And what I find, you know, you asked the question about, Shubir, where do you find this type of project? So one of the projects, what I find, this particular client did not collect for some fees for recall product from their supplier, supposed to pay 50% of the fees of the recall because it is a supplier product failure. And the contract was written 10 years ago, 15 years ago with that supplier. And nobody went back to the supplier and said, hey, you know, this recall cost me this much. You're supposed to pay pay the bill of 50%. Why didn't pay? And, and the supplier said, you never invoiced us. So guess what? On the top five suppliers, we received over $1 billion that this particular client never even collected from the suppliers because the process is broken. Contract is collecting dust. Nobody knows when the contract was written. So these type of stuffs happen when I ask the client, what is your pain? When I go to an organization, I don't give them any fancy numbers I come up with. I don't. What I do, I ask them, tell me your pain. Tell me about where you are bleeding. What is your, uh, show me your, this particular client, just so that you know, this particular client told me, Shabir, first thing, the CFO and CEO said, Shabir, our number one issue is recall. And on the recall, we are losing billions of dollars. I said, okay, show me the report where you are losing the billions of dollars. And then we look problem after problem after problem, asking a lot of questions. Then we found some of them is manufacturing related. Some of them are supplier related. Some of them are design related. So that is the way kind of the it, it works. I got to tell you, as a uh, shareholder, <laughs> I also work with, you know, like you, a lot of kind of C-suite leaders and their boards. Right. It's frightening to hear $10 billion of waste in a company over a five-year period, but I, I'm sure it happens. Are there some culprits that particularly you know, strongly contribute to this waste? Where, where, Sabir, where, where's this waste coming from? Why does it keep happening? 
and we're talking about pretty sophisticated companies. Why is so this not, not being more resolved sooner? <laughs> so, David, let me tell you, you know, I'm uh, right now in a podcast, and I'm sure that you are popular enough that your podcast is listened by lots of senior leaders. I'm telling you publicly right now, straight, right? A company, publicly traded company, Boeing, right? I'm telling you right now, in my sleep, if Boeing CEO called me today and saying he's going to championing it, I'm going to, I can save him minimum in my sleep, $10 billion, minimum, if you champion it, guaranteed. How can I confidently say that? Okay. And very honest with you, the number might be 20 to 30 billion. Do you know why? Because Boeing design, so much of design issue, they are continuously patching it. By reading the Wall Street Journal, I can guarantee you. And I can see automotive industries, carbon copy of 1980s, 1990s automotive industry. In my viewpoint, General Motors right now at this moment, with respect of GM product perspective, product quality perspective, they are 10 times more robust than even Boeing, right? How I can say that? Because there is some of the methodology they did not adopt yet. Like for an example, one of the area is robust optimization, robust engineering. In fact, you know, I think last week, Boeing's chief engineer posted an annual report in LinkedIn, and you can check it out because you are connected with me. And I made a comment there. I made a comment in saying that, hey, that's fantastic as an annual report, but I'm just letting you know that unless you do robust optimization and robust engineering adoption in research and development and in your product, you will continuously bleed. You will have more problems coming up like this. So, you know, and I just gave a public example, like a, a publicly traded large corporation like that because systematically it was not done. So there's a lot of companies like that nature, you know, is there. When I was invited to do Six Sigma by Glenn Barton, chairman of the board at Caterpillar in 1999, I asked him a question saying that his uh, name is Glenn. I said, Glenn, tell me your number one pain. He said, my pain you can never solve. I said, okay, I still, I wanted to know. I, I know I cannot solve, but tell me what's your pain. So he said, look, any company, when they have $20 billion revenue mark, they cannot break through that revenue mark. They struggle. And my dream is in next 10 years, I wanted to have Caterpillar to go from 20 billion to 30 billion. And that is my number one pain. And I don't think I can ever achieve it because I've been, I can become 19 billion. I can become 21 billion. I cannot break through that paradigm. So I said, great. That is an amazing pain you have. How about this? Let us put together in Six Sigma deployment. We'll come up with a strategy saying that one of the pain is not only the cost saving. One of the pain is how can we Caterpillar can achieve to 20 billion to 30 billion? I call, in fact, I teased him and I said, you have a $10 billion defect. <laughs> That's what I kind of told him. And I said, that Caterpillar wants to become a $30 billion company by 2000, I think it was 2008 or 2009. So I'm talking about 1998, 99. Guess what? If you check it out, 2008, Caterpillar revenue is 42 billion, 42 billion, not 30 billion, 42 billion. So, so now then the question comes to saying that, how the heck you came up with that? So I love these examples and I might just have to tag several Boeing executives on this podcast just to get their attention to what the possibilities could be. But we're talking about some very large companies and very mature industries. So, Beer, how relevant is Six Sigma to smaller companies, to medium-sized companies? Is it as prevalent? I understand the 100x ROI may not be there, but 
Is it just for large publicly traded complex no. organizations? No. As I said, David, that, you know, it's all about if there's a work, there's a process. If there's a process, there's a variation. So let me give you some very small examples, like some small companies. Like I have some health system, Henry Ford Health System, a lot of the hospitals. You know, there's a lot of issues in our health system. And right now, and we may not even do even Six Sigma. In fact, that is one of the reasons I wrote a book called The Ice Cream Maker, which is a kind of a customized program of process improvement for smaller organizations. You know, a lot of small organizations, they can use the techniques. I call it as a three-step process called listen, enrich, optimize. So, you know, some of the hospital, they got like 10x, 15x return. So they invested maybe quarter million dollar and we saved them $3 million, $4 million. So just to give you a very small example, one particular hospital CEO from Ohio, tiny little hospital called Burger Health System, sent me, a CEO sent me a nice letter saying that, Shibir, I read your book, Ice Cream Maker. I'm talking about this is in 2005, 2006, saying that I love this book so much. I wanted to implement this in my organization. I may not be able to afford you, but I'm a tiny little company you know, hospital company. So I said, hey, and I take the telephone and called him and said, hey, look, I don't care, you know, how a small company you are or whatever, but if the CEO is committed, it is my job to help you. So I called the gentleman and ultimately, long story short, I met with this leadership team. So we did the project on that organization and they got like, I should say, at least 25, 30x return on that company. And one of the a small example I wanted to give it to you is uh, one of the project was they have a $2 million equipment, which is a CTS scanner, and they are planning to order another one and investing another $2 million. And so what is the reason? When we came in, we found out what is the reason? The reason is the current machine is almost 95% capacity. So we needed to have, I said, okay, no problem. I wanted to make sure that number is correct because you said 95%. I said, did you test it? It is 95% capacity. They said, no. So I said, okay. So I wanted to make, so do you know what I did, David? I put one of my consultants, just sit there in front of that machine for one week, continuously, right? Even 24-7, like there's a two consultants coming in and collecting the data. You know what we found out? We found out the utilization of that particular machine is only 30%. <laughs> do you know what is the issue was? Issue was the scheduling, scheduling by the physicians. So different departments, physicians are scheduling in the same time and they thought that machine is not available. So ultimately, we streamlined the process of the doctor scheduling and the machine utilization. So, and then proved it to them. They have 70% still can be utilized. And we put together a fantastic process there. So that is a tiny little example I can give you. And that avoided them to invest another $2 million equipment. And what a great example from an industry that touches every one of us, right? So health systems and healthcare is, I've long believed, ripe for innovation and optimization. And, and you're exactly right, this process improvement. So, Sabir, I am a PL leader. Give me your top three recommendations on taking a closer look at my existing organization. That's one. Right. And then if I'm just starting, let's say, a new initiative, I'm starting new work, are there some things I can do to proactively avoid or minimize possible waste moving forward? How do I not dig myself such a big hole that then I have to work really hard to dig it myself out of? So number one thing on that would be look at the data, because data only believe the data. Rest of it is our opinion. 
So if a PNL leader can figuring it out, saying that, okay, you know, what is the true data is suggesting me? The true data, if it is suggesting that, okay, we are only in some, some manufacturing process, we might be only 90% efficient. There's a 10% we can be, or we can improve, or we might be having some products might be getting wasted. One of the company I work with is called, is one of the food manufacturing company. It is a cereal maker. What I found out, David, was they are throwing out, they are literally throwing out their product and almost, I should say, 9% of their product is thrown out. And when I asked the question, they said, should be, this is a problem for last 25 years. And so I said, okay, what do you do with this throughout product? Saying that because we feed that to the animals or whatever. I said, wow, so it is a real waste. He said, yes. So he said, should we don't look at that project because... So I said, no, no, no. If there is a 91% efficient, that is not acceptable to me. 9% product you are throwing out, there is a process is broken. I don't care how many years you are doing. So ultimately, we look at the process. We could not still make it 100%, but we ultimately brought them from 91% to almost 98.5%, right? Now, because of that 7.5% improvement, David, do you know what that, that relate to them? It's more than $100 million that in saving for that company for per year, right? So I kind of feel that most executives, to answer your question, that most executives in PNL they don't look at hard with the data that what the data is suggesting them, where the waste is, number one. And number two, once they understand the data, then they have to be educated by somebody or they have to find their own education. And nowadays with the internet, they can dig themselves and they can have the knowledge, they can gather themselves to figure it out what percentage is product-related, what percentage is the projects is process-related and try to find the right knowledge to make sure that somebody work on it and champion it. And those PNL leader make sure that they don't take their eyeball out of that. One thing I admire tremendously about some leaders where they come in and say they wanted to do a project themselves. You know what I mean? Like when the CEO come to me and saying that, Shubir, I would like to do project myself. That makes my day because then the change will happen, you know? And it's a demonstrated commitment to to yes. making that change, right? Yes. So, so question of you is is obviously we're talking, you know, curve benders is really focused on future of work. Give us a glimpse in Sabir. How do you believe Six Sigma and really this process optimization, really this process reducing variation? How do you believe it will evolve in the next decade? So, if the humanity exists, then I believe that the work of quality demand will be more and more because we'll create more processes and we'll screw up with more processes because unfortunately, majority of the business schools, majority of the engineering schools, they don't teach process improvement, you know, when they are in engineers or when they are in business schools. So that, that is one of the issues. So if the educational institutions do more and more, that'll be great. So I kind of feel that the either we call it Six Sigma or something else, but the process optimization, process innovation, process improvement or operational excellence, this type of methodologies demand will continue more and more the more the organization become more complex. That is my own prediction. I think prediction is very hard to do, but that is my own belief. Does technology contribute to the mess or does it actually help alleviate some of the waste? I think technology helped us a lot on the eliminating of the waste. The problem is that when you're building the technology, some technologies are phenomenal, but some technologies are not. That means those executives, when they're building it, they are not building it efficient way from the day one. And that is a problem. 
right? So if they because they don't have the knowledge. So if they put the efficiency as a foundation of their design of the whatever technology they are building, then of course they it will be better. You've been delightful in highlighting. I think many of our PNL leaders certainly understand and know of and heard of and read about Six Sigma. But you're right; it is last decade or so. I think it's slowed down as new approaches like Blue Ocean Strategy and Game Changer and some of these other approaches, other methods have have taken center stage. I think we've forgotten about the incredible amount of waste in many organizations and those reducing variations in them. So, what's the best way for our audience to learn more about you and your work? My organization's website is asiusa.com and ASI stands for American Supplier Institute. So asiusa.com is my company and my personal website is shubhichaudhuri.com and you will find everything there or at shubhichaudhuri is my Twitter or you can connect me on LinkedIn under shubhichaudhuri name and anybody can email me. I, I'm very responsive to, to my audience. If you joined us late, you've been listening to Subir Chowdhury, chairman and CEO of ASI Consulting Group. He, he really is one of the world's foremost experts on quality, on process improvement. We'll certainly share links and author of The Difference When Good Isn't Enough, Robust Optimization. I love the ice cream maker. You also have the power of Six Sigma going back to 2001. So a lot of great insights. Thank you for being our guest on the Curvebenders podcast. Thank you so much, David, for hosting me. It's my pleasure. By the way, three quick points, new season and a renewed commitment to our digital footprint, blog, newsletter, social media. We turn the show notes from these podcasts into more in-depth articles, so you can find those in our completely revamped new blog forthcoming at norgroup.com slash blog. Number two, we're completely revamping our newsletter to make them even more practical and relevant with both a free and a premium version. Check it out at norgroup.com slash newsletter. Lastly, we want to bring the content from these episodes to life. So whether it's a Twitter chat with a guest or live streaming through our Facebook and YouTube channels, or even more recently, a Clubhouse audio conversation, check out our various social media channels with the hashtag Curvebenders for the latest update. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Subir Chowdhury. Uh, It's one of those uh, really deep subject matter expert consultants, advisors, and the more you talk to them, the more, uh, I I don't know about you, frightening it becomes of just really thinking about the waste. And and he's right. If there's work, there's process. If there's process, there's good chance there's process variation. If you reduce that variation, you eliminate waste. At its essence, that's what Six Sigma is about. That's what Sabir and his team have perfected over a number of decades. And when he shares examples of the companies that he's working with and the return they get, I'm just I'm astonished by this. So this is the Nor Notes, uh, hopefully some summary ideas and insights and perspectives you can put immediately to use. Listen to some of his comments, right? People and process power, right? looking at really reducing variations to reduce waste, the CEO's commitment to this optimization, regardless of where you're coming from, 
if you're, whether you're in a mid-sized company, what do you talk about? Some of these health systems and hospitals, all the way up to, I love his public <laughs> announcement of Boeing, right? I can save Boeing $10 billion in waste, right? Regardless of where you're coming from, are you paying enough attention to consistency in your processes? consistency in training and developing the people, consistency in how you do what you do to minimize just those cycles, right? Number one. Number two, as an executive, as a leader, how intimately are you involved with the changes you want to see in the organization? Because it's very easy to delegate, if not abdicate those things. Are you intimately involved? And you can't be involved with every one of them. And I'm by no stretch recommending micromanaging. But $10 billion in waste? Uh, am I the only one asking how the hell did that happen? And where's the CEO? And how do we, if the CEO is not intimately involved with that process, what else would he or she be doing, right? And, and it doesn't have to be that large of an organization. As you heard, uh, it, this is also very relevant. There's even small and medium-sized companies about process optimization, eliminating risk, eliminating waste. Um, you talked about training. Right? How often have we all been trained and there's no application of that? So is there a project? Is there an immediate application of the things you're getting trained on? I think that's a critical point. Now, you also talked about, and as obviously the title of this session, listen, enrich, optimize. Listen, enrich, optimize. I would highly recommend his book, The Ice Cream Maker. It's about a two-hour read, right? And and it and it brings that idea to life. So uh, just a couple quick uh, heads up. Number one, Sabir is going to be my guest today at noon Eastern. I hope you'll join us. We're going to do a live stream on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. So come to my LinkedIn profile. Just add David Knorr. You'll see it. Uh, I hope you'll make time to join us. You know, brilliant guy. A lot of great insights. Two, I turned the show notes from these podcast interviews into articles. So come join us in the blog, norgroup.com slash blog, or preferably in our community, norgroup.com slash forum. That's the NOR forum where we discuss these ideas and really talk about how we can apply them in our respective organizations. We have some fabulous guests coming up in the next several weeks. So I hope you'll continue to join us for the Curvebenders podcast, wherever you consume podcasts. I'm so grateful for all of our listeners on the Curve Vendors podcast. I'd love to hear from you with ideas, with suggestions, with guests you'd love to hear from at this intersection of future of work, strategic relationships, and nonlinear growth. You can simply email podcast at norgroup.com or follow us on various social media channels where I use the hashtag Curve Vendors to keep you posted on our latest progress.